May God bless you if you're there at home uh, participating in worship. Uh, we are basically uh, just a handful of the live studio audience here today. But thank you if you did come out. It is good to see you here. Smiling at me behind those masks, I know. That's what I'm thinking anyway. That's what I'm telling myself. As I look and see a few masked faces, uh, I know that you are with us. I know that most of you are home online and uh, watching either live or later, and hopefully live, because there is something just a little different about the opportunity to gather together. And I want to encourage you, if you are at home, um, we oftentimes mention this. There are things that we're going to be talking about. Last week, I did something that uh, I hadn't mentioned before, but I'm glad I did because it was your way of saying amen because I was getting a lot of amens, but I didn't know what I was saying that was hitting where you are. And one of the reasons that I ask you to go ahead and say amen at this or about that is because oftentimes seeing it one more time in print and knowing that it's speaking to somebody else makes us sit down just a little bit in that place and allow the goodness of God to roll over us. And so I thank you who were participating. And let me just say, uh, I, I appreciate that participation because more than anything else, you might not be able to be involved here today, but we do want to participate and we are a family. We call this the EHC family. We call this the EHC community with the emphasis on unity. And that's not an exaggeration and that's not by accidents uh, what we are around here. And we are glad that you are a part of that. And uh, I thank the worship team and their part and their participation today. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, we're going to be going through our hindsight 2020 and kind of looking at part three of that. And I believe that'll be a blessing to you. And I hope that you will keep your phones open, uh, keep your word open. If you are uh, looking at a hard copy from first Peter chapter one, I don't know, but I will say this, uh, I do feel compelled and, um, feel that it's very important to say a few words before we go any further. And to be very honest with you, this is um, a difficult subject and a difficult task for me. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think it's incredibly, incredibly important. Um, around here, one of the things that you will notice right off the bat is, is that we don't all look alike around here. And um, that is what makes us unique and a little different. And it is also what makes us special. Um, and I know that as I bring up the name George Floyd, many of you know this name. I did not know this name until the last week or so. Um, but I know that this man actually grew up here, went to Yates High School here in Houston, grew up in the third ward of Houston, Texas. He could be any one of us. And I thought about this and I, have, I struggle with this because obviously it doesn't take a genius to figure out I'm a middle-aged white man. But about three years ago, we went through a lot of this. A lot of these things that were going on in our world that were dividing us according to racial lines. Some say that's never stopped. Maybe that's true. I know that how far we've come is not as far as we need to go. I know that. I know that part of the reason that I love this church is because this to me is the kind of place where we should be talking about these things. And here's why. I think that if you're in an African-American church today, 
you're not going to feel any amount of discomfort about this. You may feel anger and rage and probably justifiably so, but you probably don't feel any amount of discomfort. If you're in a white church, you may feel totally different or the same. I don't know, but you probably don't feel any amount of discomfort. I think something this important is supposed to make us uncomfortable. Uncomfortable with not just what has happened, but how we respond and how it affects people around us. And here's the truth. We are a church made up of people who come from very different backgrounds, not just racially, but in every other way as well. And here's what I would like to say. It might make you a little uncomfortable for me to be talking about this. But I think part of the problem is, is that we get an opportunity to label people and push them to the side and stop listening to what they're saying. And if we label them and we push them to the side, then we don't have to actually stand up and say what is right and what is wrong. Because it's real easy to do black and white. And I'm not talking about race, but good and evil and black and white and, you know, no areas of gray. But here is what I know. I know that something needs to change. And I know that three years ago when I had this conversation with one of you, you may remember, I called you and I told you, I said, please tell me what to think. Please tell me what to say. I'm unqualified, but somebody's going to be looking to me to say something about something that I'm unqualified to talk about. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm so frustrated by this whole thing because... What she said to me rang so true. She said, that could have been my son. A young man that's grown up here in this church and gone here for more than five years. And she said, that could have been my son. And I couldn't tell her that's not right. I couldn't tell her that's not true. And I can't even imagine what that feels like. One thing I'll never have to be is six foot seven, which I think is about what George Floyd was. But you cannot tell me that if I was six foot seven, that I didn't have a whole lot better chance of surviving as a white man of six foot seven than an African-American man of six foot seven. And that's just wrong in so many ways, man. It's just so wrong. And I'm not trying to talk about politics. I'm not talking about politics. And I wanna say something real quickly. I, I, this is a man, he's a man. He's a man like us. A lot of us connected here to Houston, Texas. He's just a man. The moment that his name goes on a banner, we politicize it, but he's a man who lost his life over possibly a $20 uh, counterfeit bill. And I'm going to tell you something. I can't vouch for every $20 bill in my wallet. And no life is worth $20. I'll tell you that. No life whatsoever. And I am a backer of the officers that run towards the sounds of chaos. But you know, one of the things that bothers me so bad when I'm on TV, when I watch TV and I see everything that's displayed as a, as a pastor or a priest being somebody who's weird or strange or a pedophile or a womanizer, all that stupid stuff that they do, it's... And I want to stand up and I want to say, that's not what real pastors look like. Man, if you're an officer right now, surely you want to stand up and say, that's not what real officers do. 
They don't handcuff a suspect and then remain on their neck. I back that blue, I really do. I I believe that they are doing good things, but the struggle is, is that people are losing their lives where it ought not be lost. I struggle with what I would put on. I'm not reading this stuff, by the way. This is all from my heart. And I hope I'm not crossing lines that at least you can't give me some grace on. If you, if you can, please just give me some grace because this is an emotional thing. And honestly, I wanted to be able to just come up and keep moving and not talk about this because I know that this is a minefield. But you know what? If we're not having this discussion in a place where it can matter, we're screwing up something bad and we've missed the point. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, what did he say? At the very end of his life, three or four different times in that time where he spoke to his disciples just before he left this world, he said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you know what? The big church, the capital C church is made up of people who are scared to death that their sons might not come home because they were given a bad $20 bill and they had the audacity to think it was real and try to use it to buy something at the corner store. I went back and forth on whether or not I was gonna show this picture, but I'm gonna show this picture because it disturbs me deeply. The thing that bothers me the most is it's almost like he has to keep his hand back to keep all of his weight on this man's neck. Like it would almost be easier for him to put his hand on the car to prevent all of his weight on a man's neck. And he was there for eight minutes and 43 seconds, as best I can tell, about three of them when the man was absolutely unresponsive, handcuffed, face down, on a pavement. I can't say it's the worst part or the best part or any, I, I, I can't quantify it. This bothers me deeply, as you can probably tell. And I hope it bothers you enough for you to not think it's okay to keep your mouth closed. Here's what I would say. Part of what's not in this picture bothers me. I don't know if it's almost as much, but it's, it's incredibly bothersome to me. There were three other police officers on the other side of that car that didn't stop him from putting all of his weight on that man's neck until he was dead. problem that we're struggling with is there are always going to be idiots like this man. Always. There's always going to be people who are racist and idiots and, and, and on some sort of power trip in some sort of situation. But the problem that I have is, is that most of us just say, well, they shouldn't be like that. But when we have an opportunity to speak up, we don't speak up. <laughs> and we're culpable if we don't speak up. And does this make me uncomfortable to say these things? I know I'm unqualified. I know that. 
Though, yeah, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm like, I'm going to be fine. Like, it's the people that don't go home or the people who have dealt with this year after year, after decade, after decade, after century, after century. And there just doesn't seem to be any end in sight. They're the ones that we should be worried about. They're the ones who I believe that Christ would go to and identify with. That's what I genuinely believe. And that could have been any one of us. But if it happened to be one of us who has darker skin, you know your chances were a whole lot less than mine. It's just wrong on every single level. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that some of you are going to be watching this and you're going to say, oh, there's Randy. He likes to cry. He's a bleeding heart liberal and stuff like that. You don't even know who I am. You don't. You have no idea. But you know what? Go ahead and label me and push me to the side and not listen, even though what I've said is true. Because that's what you want to do. And if you're listening right now and that's what you want to do, I'm going to encourage you. Listen real hard and listen really close. If that were your son, how would you feel? I think you'd feel a lot different. Martin Luther King quote that I wanted to share with you because I just felt like it spoke so deeply to this. And I'm gonna say a few more words and then I'm gonna pray. And I, I don't... I don't think I've solved anything by what I've said. But I know this. I've come into this pulpit before knowing I was preaching the word of God. And I am preaching the word of God right now. This is not politics. If my brother or my sister who happens to be from a different race is a part of the church, the universal church, that encompasses the entire world and its entire population. The Bible tells me that I am supposed to hurt when my brothers and my sisters hurt. And although I cannot identify with you and I cannot speak up for you in the right and proper voice, this is the only one I have. This is the only pulpit that I have, but I will say this, I am sorry and I will not continue to be silent because I'm fearful. And I know that I'm not trying to drive a wedge in between any of us. I'm here to tell you that most of us need to look within and figure out if we are doing what we can do and what is possible to do. And I want desperately to think that if I were on the other side of that car, that I would have been the one that got that man off of that man's neck. Martin Luther King said that history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. I know that I'm speaking to a lot of good people right here and right now, and I know that some of you are of a totally different race, and I'm cool with that because that is what makes this a beautiful place. But you know what? 
If we cannot feel the injustice and do something about it, we've missed the point of being a family. And if this makes you uncomfortable, I'm glad it does. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to push you. I don't want to push you into a corner. But for God's sake, the problem is a man has died for nothing once more, once more. And don't you find it interesting as I do that Martin Luther King, who was assassinated in the early 60s, talked about a time of social transition. And here we are, and it's just as apropos today, in this time of social transition, that good people are still silent. And it's not just about the bad people doing bad things. I I don't know where I'm ending. I guess I'm ending here. And if you're here with me still, maybe this has made you uncomfortable. I don't know. I hope it has. Because you should see some faces of people that you claim to love. And something ought to change on the inside of us, you know? It really ought to. I held my wife this morning And I just told her, I said, thank you for being some measure of strength. I don't feel capable or up to this. But we both cried, cried with my daughter. That this just keeps on happening and it needs to stop. It desperately needs to stop. I'm going to be praying for George Floyd's family, but I'm also going to be praying for our United States. And I'm also going to be praying for some of you who don't want me to be praying for you right now. But I'm going to be praying that whatever has been a source of comfort for you ceases to feel comfortable if it doesn't engage with something that cannot be avoided any longer. For my African-American friends and my African-American family members, you know I love you. I hope, I hope you understand, I don't feel up to this. I don't feel competent enough to speak on your behalf. So if I've stumbled or if I've left something out, I apologize. I just want us to be having this conversation and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. That's, that's been more than enough of you feeling uncomfortable so that my race would feel comfortable. So I'm sorry if I've not said enough, but I hope and pray that if one of you has taken for granted that you would stop. I, um, I like it better when I know exactly where I'm ending and what I'm landing on. Like I said, I keep looking down at this paper because I just... I can't put it all into words. So, as we come to a place where we don't know what to say, I think we say, God help us. God help us. And God help us. Help us to cease to see people as other 
and see them instead as our brothers and sisters. Help us to cease to see things that are comfortable for us and incredibly uncomfortable for other people as okay because it doesn't bother me. God, help us to be the ones who would actually stand up and say, you've got to stop doing the things that you do to people that we know that are idiots and throwbacks to a time that should have died decades and decades and centuries ago. I just pray that you would help us, God. And Lord, I'm hurt, but I can't imagine the hurt and the frustration and the anger and the rage that must be coming up in our African-American population. There are riots all over this nation. Innocent people are going to die and be hurt by that. I pray that you would bring peace that comes from God, not peace from us going to our own corners where we're comfortable, but a peace that is supernatural and reconciles your people. Somehow, something that we can't figure out on our own. So God, help us. And I thank you that even now, even in the midst of this struggle, you're speaking to George Floyd's family. You're bringing peace in their hearts because that's what you do. I thank you, God, that you are who you are and that you are never out of your depth. You're never at a place where you're at a loss for words, that you are speaking to our hearts. God, help us. God, help us. We sure can't do it on our own. Clear, we can't do it on our own. God, as we transition, I know that people tuned in today for your word, and I want to share your word. I pray that you would help us to hear from you, not just in your word that's going to be very clearly from your word, but that we would hear your prayer just before you left this world. Your encouragement for us. That by this, all men would know that we are your disciples if we have love one for the other. In name I pray all these things. Amen. No easy transition, y'all. Thank you for allowing me to speak from my heart on the things that I think are important for us to say and things for us to hear. I wanna jump to slide number nine, Tori, if you don't mind, for the big idea revisited. Maybe this is the best transition I can give you. God can use disruptions in our normal to bring about something new. God can bring about something new in our lives only when we're ready to receive it. 
And sometimes those things don't just come in small, sweet little packages. Sometimes they're very difficult. Sometimes they're very big. And the changes that we have hit us are difficult for us to grasp and gain our footing after. The truth of the matter is, is that most of us don't change because we don't want to change because we feel more comfortable staying where we are in the camps that we're in, in the echo chamber that we might find ourselves in, in the circumstances that we are comfortable in, in our own world. But the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes God has to come in and knock us off center. And in the process of doing that, he reminds us that he has something new for us And we have to set aside normal for us to find his new for us. And so it's important that we grasp that and go towards that. Last week, I spoke a little bit about the Sea of Galilee, and I showed you a picture of the modern Sea of Galilee and what it looked like. And as you see it here, you can see that it's almost like a wind tunnel. And you can see that the fact that there are constant storms that were sudden and incredibly violent, you can almost see why, because you're looking at this and you're seeing it here on the screen. You see that it's a wind tunnel that just comes through and hits that lake that is also known as Lake Kinneret or the Sea of Galilee. It's the same body of water. As a matter of fact, Rembrandt even painted a painting on there called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee because it was such a common occurrence. It was something that we knew. But here's what I would tell you. In our world, we've got to get used to this because every time we think that things are going to settle down and quiet down, we realize that they don't. Why? Because there is constant churn. Our world is just like that Lake Kinneret where we're almost like in a wind tunnel. And every time we think that things are going to settle down or die down, we get things churned up in our lives. It's just the manner of our life and our in our world that we live in. But here is what we also know, that fear and faith, they go hand in hand. Now, this is much easier to preach than it is to live. But I talked last week about how we have an if-then brain. We have a brain that's wired for an if and then. And if I feel fear, then I am going to lean into my faith. That means that whenever I feel afraid and I start feeling that pit of the stomach feeling of hollowness and that feeling in my gut that says, oh man, I'm worried about this. I'm fearful about this. I'm afraid of what might happen. That is when we have to be willing to speak and say, you know what? Then I am going to lean into my faith and realize that God has not failed me yet, that ultimately God is the one who is in control. And so just understand that God is probably at work. John Maxwell quote that I've shared with you about change You probably can see it up here on the screen. People change when they hurt enough that they have to change. They learn enough that they want to change or they receive enough that they are able to change. And here's what I would say for all of us. We need change in our lives. Now, if you're like me, if we're kind of on the same page like we talk about, we are probably like, Lord, we wanted change. We wanted something new. We wanted something different, but this is a little too much. I mean, this is a global pandemic. Raise your hands if it's your first global pandemic, right? All right, so that's where we're at. It's our first global pandemic. We didn't even know there was such a thing as a global pandemic outside of the theoretical. Well, we're in one now, and then things are definitely changing. As a matter of fact, we talk about the new normal all the time, right? And so God has changed our normal into something new. The question is, are we going to learn from it and grow from it, or are we just going to get through it? And that's one of the things that we've talked about 
how we just want to get better, not just simply getting through. Now, I want to be very clear about something, and I've tried my very best because I know that if this is your first global pandemic, you and I are probably on the same, the same side and on the same screen here in this. We think that we probably ought to have more faith, and that's okay. It's, it's probably a truism for you and for me that we want to be stronger Christians than we are. We want to have faith demonstrate more in our lives than we do. We look at ourselves and we say, man, I wish I were more than this. I wish I were further along in my scale of maturity and my spiritual life. I get it. But I want to be very clear about something. A, it's probably not you that caused this storm in your life. I mean, unless you were anywhere close to Wuhan, China, if that is the case, we need to talk. Um, But if not, it's probably not your fault. It's probably not my fault. It just has found us. But here is something to learn. Jesus himself said that that there's no one greater than John the Baptist, but even he had doubts in a time of hardship and struggle. It's very important with this something to learn that you and I grasp this. Jesus himself said there's no one better than John the Baptist as far as those born of women. As a matter of fact, let's click to this next slide and see here. This is John the Baptist and Jesus' own words. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 through 3 and verse 11, this is what it says. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, that's Jesus, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And then Jesus, speaking to his disciples after the fact, said, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Here's what he's saying. John the Baptist is a serious, serious guy when it comes to his faith. He is the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world when Jesus was walking by. But as he finds himself in prison, as he finds himself in the middle of a storm that he can't explain, he sends word to Jesus and he asks him, hey, tell me, are you the one or did I miss the boat here somewhere? And maybe today you are finding yourself in that place where you're asking God, did I miss the boat? Did I screw up somehow? Did I get off? Why is my job uncertain? There are other people whose jobs have stayed. Why is my job uncertain? Why is my family struggling the more time we spend together than the less time we had back in the day? Now, I can't answer every one of these questions for you. I can't tell you why this happened. If I could... I could do something different than what I'm doing, all right? But here's the truth. The Bible doesn't have every answer for you and for me in our specific lives, but it has every answer that you and I need in our lives. And this is true. I can't tell you why it's happening specifically for you, but I can tell you that God has not forgotten about you. And if you're having doubts, hang in there with me. Hang in there with me. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to go back and read about the inheritance that Peter talked about, and we're going to look at this. So let's just keep moving here, and don't miss this. Don't miss this at all. Every testimony begins with a test. It's unavoidable. We've said this three weeks in a row. Please don't forget that every single person that you've ever looked at and admired their testimony, I promise you, their testimony began with a test, exactly. So you can't have one without the other. And you know what? I wanted to show this piece uh, of art here. And this is painted by David Segers back in 1620. 
This is called the denial of St. Peter. And you can see the figure there that's dressed a little differently, a, a common everyday fisherman right there on the left of that picture. That's the denial of St. Peter around the fire when people said, you sound like him, you must be one of his disciples. And Peter said, no, 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 that's not me. That's not me. And he said it three different times that he denied Christ. And we've always loved to crack on Peter and act like we wouldn't have done that. You know, that wouldn't have happened for us because we would have stood strong. Can I just tell you something? We talk about Peter as his weakness being his problem. But can I tell you what happened? If you know the story of Peter, yes, he did deny him three times. But in John chapter 21, do you remember what else happened? Jesus was standing by another fire. And as he was standing on the side of the Sea of Galilee, he came up and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. And then the second time he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, of course, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then feed my lambs. And then he said that third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. And then he keeps going and he says something incredible. And this is probably about AD 32, AD 33, somewhere in that neighborhood that Jesus is speaking directly with Peter at the side of the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And here's what he says. He says, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else is going to dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Here's what we forget. Peter lived with a death sentence proclaimed over him by the Lord himself. He said, one of these days, Peter, you're going to follow me in a way that you don't want to follow me. And so for 30 years, give or take, according to human tradition and you know, early church history, about 20 to 30 years, Peter waited for the day that he would be led out and he would be bound and he would be crucified because of his faith in the Lord. And this is the man who writes the words in 1 Peter. And what does he talk about? You think you've got it bad. You think you're dealing with problems. Let me tell you about my problem. No, that's not what Peter says. He says, we have an eternal hope. He says, we have an inheritance that is yet to come. This is the Peter that has the, 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 the sword dangling over his head, the death sentence already pronounced, and he approaches his life with joy. Is that even possible? And I would just say to you and to me, humanly, the answer is no. Supernaturally, is that possible? The answer is it's already been done. The Apostle Peter did it. Here's what we know. Here is how you can find peace in the midst of suffering, even though you know you have difficult days ahead, whatever they may hold. And so let me just share this with you. Here is something we know. The big idea for today is God promises his presence and his peace, not a perfect situation in your world. I don't know what the next few days hold. Shoot, I don't even know what the next few hours hold. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, this, we, we could have a whole world change in just a handful of days. We just don't know what each and every day or even every single hour holds. But God's promise is that his presence and his peace stays 
no matter what changes in the world out there. And the question is whether or not you embrace that or not, whether I embrace that or not. So what is Peter's prescription for dealing with this kind of thing that hangs over your head? Very quickly, here's what I want to share with you. Peter's prescription, first of all, is you get clarity on your priorities and on your position. And this is what I believe with all my heart. You are human, but you are also God's child. And if you are God's child, he has already promised, I will never leave you. And you can say it with me. And I will never forsake you. That is God's promise to you. And that is God's promise to me as his child. And that's important. So here's what we know. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4-7, through 7, I want us to read through that and I want you to listen. And I'm going to point out a couple of things that you might have missed as we just simply read through. So let's look at this. It begins and it, it kind of is a continuation of chapter uh, 1, verse 3, but it says, you've been brought into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. That means that the coronavirus can't take away your inheritance or mine. Amen? This inheritance is kept right here, buried under the ground. No, 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 no. That's not what it says. It says this inheritance is waiting for us in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and nothing fades. And so we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though for now, a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these trials have come so that the proven, and then we go to this next, um, the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What's it saying? It's saying that you and I have a promise greater than gold. You and I have a promise that our inheritance will not fade. And can I just say something? Man, we get our tent pegs so deep in this world. We think that this world is where we have to make a, make a, a, a difference and make a home. No, this is not our final destination. And one day, the things that you have done for God here in this world while you could will be worth something in eternity. And all of the things that you've put all of your effort into that benefited nobody but you and yours are going to fade and go away. And instead, only what's done for Christ will remain. Don't get your tent pegs so deep that you don't ever remember that this world is not your home. Amen? And so here's what I would also say. I, I want to go back and I want to hit slide number 20 and just say, don't miss this. Don't miss this. God is never going to give you a life that makes Him unnecessary. Think about that for just a quick second. God is not going to give you a life that makes Him unnecessary. And here's what I would tell you. Man, I've met people, <laughs> some of you in this church, you have been kind enough to let me in and tell me of your own issues and own problems and struggles that you have. And you know, there have been a number of different times where I have gone home and I thought to myself, man, I never knew that they were facing that because from the outside looking in, it looks like everything is perfect. But you know what? It isn't. And every perfect person that I've ever met that I just knew they had it all together. They didn't. You know why? Because they're still a person. They're still human. And there is no such thing as perfection in this world. And every time you run up against the wall that hits you square in the face and reminds you that this is not perfect in your life yet, remind yourself of this. That is why 
God is still needed in your life. Every time you run up against something you can't win against, you can't conquer, you can't overcome, you can't figure out, you still have a God who says, this is not your home and I am still on your side. Never get that twisted. Make sure that you remember, this is not our home and God is not giving us a life that we don't need Him in the middle of it. Second thing very quickly is Peter's prescription. Peter's prescription is to unload your fears on God. And I I intentionally said the word unload. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever unloaded something, but when I talk about unloading on someone or something, I don't talk about this gentle, small laying down of a problem, you know. My idea of unloading is just like, you know, dump it. Like just rake it all off, get it off of this and put it on that and it doesn't matter, right? I mean, that's how we think about if when you're talking about unloading something, boy, let me unload on this. That's what it means. And just grasp this in that passage of Scripture that we find as Peter continues to write to this church, this church in the early days when there was serious, serious opposition to the Christian faith and people were literally losing their lives. As a matter of fact, Peter eventually would lose his life and volunteer to be crucified upside down on a cross because he was not worthy to go through the cross the way that Jesus did. That's the man that we're talking about giving us a reminder that how do you get through this? You get through this by unloading this on God. And let me be very clear. You don't have to be gentle. You don't have to sound super holy. You don't have to constantly be a person of faith because God knows you and He understands. And by the way, He already knows if you're ticked off at Him. It's okay to tell Him if you are. Sorry. I know that doesn't sound real pastoral, but if you're mad, if you're frustrated, do you think God's surprised? (gasps) Oh, Randy got mad? What? Yeah, that happens. It happens to every one of us. He's not surprised. And so if that is what it takes to drive us to our knees, then so be it. Let's turn to Him and say, I'm here to unload all of my cares. Now, maybe you are a person who hasn't really thought about this, but maybe you're living in the gap. I'm not talking about that gap. I'm not talking about that gap, okay? But I'm talking about you're living in the gap between what you thought God would do and what God has actually done. There's a gap there. And in between that gap, that's where anger, frustration, and hurt and distance lives. Listen very closely. If you are a person who's closer to God than you've ever been, but you're going through difficult days right now, don't lose faith and don't lose heart. The problem for most of us is, is the closer we get to God, the more we expect everything to be perfect. And that is not at all what it is. The big idea today, you need to hear it one more time. His presence and his peace is what he promises. It's not that everything's going to be perfect. And so if you're living in that gap, I'm warning you now, that may cause distance between you and the one person that can set it all right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your distance between you and Christ is the very person that can actually make it all make sense and bring something amazing and incredible out of this difficulty. Don't let the gap be the thing that distances you from getting better in the midst of this instead of just simply getting through the midst of this. All right. I think my, I think my, uh, uh, my 
microphone is kind of going in and out. If that's the case, I'm not losing my voice. It's probably just my microphone kind of wavering. That means I got to hurry up. I know. Can I get an amen? Don't you dare put the amen on that chat right now. Amen at him hurrying up. I see who you are. I see your hands over that keyboard. Don't you dare say those things. Well, here's what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, 5 through 7 says, and I want us to read it very, very quickly. Here's what it is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that's telling us that in that gap, the devil is at work. And I want to go one slide before that, if you don't mind. And I want us to look at 1 Peter, and this is where we come to this unload part. In the same way you who are younger submit all of these different things, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And then it says, humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in his due time and then cast all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Unload it on him because he's ready to take it. He will be fine. And can I just say this as well? I want, I want you to understand God may not live up to your expectations, but God always will live up to His Word. I want to say that one more time. God doesn't always live up to your expectations, but God always will live up to His Word. I better get an amen on that because that is true. That is true. That's not true because I said it. That is true because God says that. Now, I want to be very clear. Peter's prescription number C very quickly is this last but not least that I share with you. We know that trials are God-filtered. We know that trials are God-filtered. You have the assurance that God will be there to make sure that you're going to come through that. He's going to make sure that you come through that. It is important for you to grasp. And can I just say one more time? From 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, I want to read one more Scripture. This is what Peter wrote in that same book to that same church. With the help of Silas, who I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you, testifying that this is the true grace of God, so stand fast in it. Stay right there in it. And then he says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, the church, the big C church, sends you her greeting, so does my son Mark. Now, I underline this word, so that she who is in Babylon, and I want you to make sure and catch this and understand this. Peter is not in the city of Babylon. Peter, more than likely, according to most Bible scholars, when he writes, she who is in Babylon sends you her greeting, he's probably talking about Rome. But he's probably talking about Rome in such a way that could get him killed. Now, listen. He's talking about Rome in such a way that he can't even mention the word Rome without it threatening his life. And so as he sends a letter that might get intercepted, he writes, she who is in Babylon sends you her greetings. So here's what I want to be very clear about. When the words of Peter are written down, it's not from some guy sitting up in an ivory tower and everything's good. He's in it with us. He's going through difficulties just like us. And he's telling us, stand fast. You've got an inheritance. Don't forget that God is the one who is letting this be a refiner's fire for you burning off all those things that are not godly and bringing you to a place where you depend on Him as never before. This is what we see in this passage of Scripture and we grasp this in insight, not hindsight only, that God is at work in your life. 
And I want to share a story with you. I'm going to tell you how to apply this very, very quickly. I'm going to tell you how to apply. I've done these last three weeks. They're the same ones. So I'm going to hit them very quickly. You lean, you love, and you learn. Very quickly, you lean. You lean in that God is your only anchor, that you rely on Him first and foremost, and then you love. You love others that are around you that are a part of the support. They're part of those people that are supporting you and helping you to get through. And I just remind you that T.D. Jake says that isolation is the last step that we have before we are destroyed. It is so true. Isolation is the last step before destruction. So lean in on God, but also love those who are around you. And then thirdly, very quickly, learn. And that is that you take notice of these areas of your greatest fear because it's likely the area where you can learn the most. Now, I want to share a story with you very quickly. As we bring this to a close and bring this to an end, I want to just mention to you in just a couple of minutes, um, we're going to be done. But I want you to hear a story that I, I gained permission to talk about from my friend Elijah. Elijah Baldwin, you guys know Karen. She usually is uh, our singer. She's uh, a nurse who works every other Sunday. So as she works, we have others fill in, whether that's Zareth or that's Tori. Um, Karen is here about every other week. And so she is the one who is visible, but she is not the only part of that family. Elijah is a part of our safety team. He goes by Eli most of the time. That's what we know him by. And Eli is a great guy. I mentioned his name to you guys last week. I didn't have permission to say anything, but actually just before Karen um, was going to be coming up here last week, she called me about 6.45 on Sunday morning, and she said, uh, hey, uh, Eli's grandmother is really, really bad health-wise, and uh, so I want you to know that I probably won't be able to be there. And I said, I, you need to be there. You, know, you need to be with Eli. Eli needs to be at the bedside of his grandmother as her life winds down. Great woman of God, a woman who's in heaven today. Praise God for that. That inheritance that does not fade, Amen. When this is all over, no matter what trials or tribulations we've gone through here, we will be at home and finally at home and at rest. But last week, as we were actually on the telephone, she said, Eli just got the call. He just came in and told me his grandmother just died. So basically 646, 648, she passed last Sunday, about a week ago. So I reached out to talk to Eli. We called each other on the telephone visited. He had struggled a little bit with his grandfather's passing, which was almost eight years ago, but he just didn't feel the closure. Um, and I was worried. I said, Eli, how's it going? Because I know you still had that kind of hanging heavy on your heart. And he said, no, I'm good. He said, I'm, I'm feeling good because I talked with her. She was ready to go. She wanted to go. And I said, that's, that's amazing. Said, yeah, I just think God's pretty been preparing my heart and he said something that just blew my mind and I said well what do you he said something happened though I said what are you talking about he said well I carried her out and I said what what do you mean and he said her hallway was too narrow for them to bring the the gurney back to load her body onto the gurney as she left her home. 
And so Eli volunteered, went back there and took his grandmother's body in his arms, walked her out of her home. The man's a stud. <laughs> what an honor, and yet what an incredibly difficult thing, as you can imagine. He said, you know the craziest part about it? And I said, no, I, it sounds pretty crazy already, brother. What, what's the craziest part about it? And Eli said, I had a dream that I did that the night before I did that. I just, my jaw dropped and I said, what? He said, yeah, I dreamed the night before that I was going to have to carry my grandmother out. And then the next day, I did. I just couldn't believe it. He said, said man, I said, Pastor, I just think God was preparing my heart so that when it happened, I'd be ready. And I just was blown away. And I, I, I asked Eli, I said, can, I'm going to try my very best to be respectful to this amazing story. I said, can I share this story with our people? He said, Absolutely. He said, I think God was doing something in it. Feel free to share it. So thank you, Eli, for entrusting all of us to hear that part of your goodbye with your grandmother. That's the God we serve. Now, here's what I say. I, I'm feeling it for Eli. What an awesome thing to do. But I'm also feeling it for my God that knew that that could have been hard. And it could have been something where you just say, no, 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 I can't do that. But God prepared him in a way where when it had to be done, he was able to do it. God didn't have to do that. And you know, I have story after story after story when God has been at work in someone and prepared his children to face up to difficult times. I've heard people tell me God sent me a bonus that I knew I couldn't spend and I didn't know why. And then a month later... I had the money when I lost my job. I, I've had people tell me, I don't know why I felt so compelled to do these things, but I knew I had to get them done. And then a month later, two months later, six months later, this is what hit and I realized God was preparing my heart the whole time. I have no ability to tell you what God is doing in your life right now, but I tell you this, God is doing something in your life right now. What it is, I don't know. I just know that's God. He's doing something. And what a tragedy it would be for your very first global pandemic to pass you by and not see that God is at work. For you and I to just get through it, but not get better from it. Because as we lean into God and allow Him to be our anchor and we learn from Him, and then we love those things that are the most important things in our life, which probably aren't things at all. We begin to draw those people close to us and we rely on each other. Then we realize, God, you've been at work this whole time. And where I couldn't see your hand, I knew I could at least trust your heart because you've always come through. God is faithful. He is a faithful God. Say amen to God being a faithful God. Amen? That is my daughters and my wife clapping. If you heard the clapping, no, I'm kidding. God bless you guys for coming. God bless you for being here on the, on the um, 
the live stream. But may God bless you in the midst of what you're facing because God is still on the throne and he is still at work. And if you're hurting, I'm not making light of it. I'm just trying to point you to the one that matters. You don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from him. You need to put your faith and your trust in him that he's at work. May God lift you up. May God give you strength. May God's wings cover you. And in everything, may God make his face to shine down upon you and give you peace wherever you may be. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this opportunity to be around your word, be together with those online or here live. Just use your word to accomplish your purposes. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we ask that you would bring peace to the hearts that need it. Lord, bring unsettledness to those that are still running from you in the wrong direction. And instead, God, we come back to you and we realize that you are at work that you are speaking to our hearts, we just need to listen. And God, may we put our faith in the God that is kind and loving and true and above all things is the God of love that is faithful to us. God, we praise you and glorify you and thank you for this. And Father, today, be with us and guide every single path that we walk. And may you be glorified by your children as we rely upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone together said, amen. So guys, I appreciate your extra time that you have given me this morning. I hope that you will be watching, and I'll be making sure that you know that there is a little bit of a family meeting that we need to have. Time just does not allow, and I know that there's just a little too much uh, that we've already shared with you. Watch, make sure you're subscribing to our live stream so you can get our family meeting as we talk through what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. It's going to be important. I'll be sending that out via our YouTube, via our Facebook, and through our uh, MailChimp. So make sure and connect with us. But we're going to end right now. I'm just going to say, stay safe out there. I love you guys. We've just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. God bless you.